friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by the captain of the Pork Chop Express and my co-host, Jack, Alex, sorry, Alex Dandino. My bad. I got so, I got, oh. so I got so hyped. You're so hyped. He's the man we all have always wanted to be. All right, guys. Uh, if you're listening to the show now, uh, we hope you're enjoying yourself. We hope you always do when you're here. Please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That helps us out a ton, and we appreciate the people who have been really doing that. Does, we see guys. you. Thank you very much. We're on all the social media platforms. Uh, find us wherever you do social. Shout us out. Uh, get a hold of us. Let's talk. I did have a request from someone to record their voicemail uh, in my Werner Herzog as the vampire. Are we going to have to start doing fucking cameos? Is that what's going Am on? Am I going to start doing Werner Herzog all the time? I, life is so stressful. I... Anywho, uh, just saying, I like when people get a hold of us. Get a hold of us. In that vein, you can email the show at filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. It seems like talking into the void, but we're all voids that run into each other. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> uh, I finally found something to move me off my Orson Welles for the people that you hated so much. I didn't hate it. I'll, I actually, I'll take Orson Welles for the people over this. <laughs> all right, guys. And finally, you can see the faces that make these voices uh, on our YouTube channel. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. We're working on some uh, shorter form content that we're going to add up there with what we're already doing. So uh, please go over there and hit subscribe. Share with your friends again. That helps us out a lot. All right. That's enough business. This month, the pod is called a carpenter. Uh, our house was in shambles after just some very serious heavy fare from listener pick month. So we're like, who is the funnest, most awesome filmmaker of all time uh, to just blow the roof off of a place? None other than John Carpenter. So here we are tonight. We are talking about the movie that is easily my favorite of John Carpenter's. And he's made so many amazing, brilliant movies. But this one, to me, um, I I can understand the people who will objectively say it's not his best film. I watched it again today with my kids. Big Trouble in Little China is probably the second most foundational movie to my young self. I told you guys the story when we covered uh, The Golden Child about me getting chicken pox and for essentially three to five days in a row just watching that VHS over and over again and forsaking Karate Kid. And that movie became, you know, it's kind of comedy, a little action, demons, mysticism. It became very formative to me, right? This movie, very much the same. But it also adds in awesome martial arts mysticism, uh, demons, monsters. It has like a Dungeons & Dragons beholder. This film is what I would show a visitor from another world if they asked me, why do you love movies so much and spend so much of your time doing it? I would say, watch this fucking movie. It's outstanding. Alex, what are your thoughts on Big Trouble Little China? Pretty much all the same stuff you said, man. This is my favorite John Carpenter movie by far. And I right. know that that's controversial in some some regard, but I also take umbrage with people who say this is like not one of his best movies like aesthetically like <laughs> this is a fantastic movie like yeah. this movie does so many things so well and without any permission from anyone too which i think is the thing i like the most about it is i feel like john carpenter is just making a movie because he loves movies like it's the same way i feel when i watch halloween same way i feel when i watch the thing like these are movies that he's made that he's just, he loves the material. Like essentially I was reading some of the notes and some of the trivia and like Kurt Russell almost didn't want to do the movie because he had had a string of flops beforehand. And he asked John Carpenter, like, why do you want to make this movie with me, man? Like, he's like, I don't think I'm right for this. You need somebody else who's going to like sell this movie. And he goes, you know, man, I just want to make a movie with you. And like that yeah. to me, it was the thing that rings the most true about the entire movie itself is just, it feels like someone who loves movies and just wants to make a movie. And that's what this yeah. movie is. And like, and yeah, it's hijinksy and fun. And it's a little bit of a, it's adventure. It's a little, a little bit of horror. It's a little bit of weird. 
It's a little bit just like weird mysticism shit. Like it's funny you bring up the Golden Child too, because I didn't realize that these were released like five months apart from each other. Apparently, <laughs> Carpenter got rushed through production, particularly so they could beat the Golden Child to the box office because they knew that he would lose Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and just fucking beat them into a pulp. He did. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is it's funny too the Kurt Russell factor of this because to me. Again, if you ask me why Kurt Russell is, I I would I hate saying someone's my favorite actor, right? Because I have probably like three to five guys that rotate around for me, right? Yeah. Kurt Russell's in that mix, you know. He is when I, I think about my favorite actors, he's always in the top group that I think about responding with, right? And to me, this movie above all of his others is exactly why, right? Because he is this kind of awesome action hero but this movie goes to extraordinary lengths to add that kind of bumbling element to it right i mean i think and that's that, the best part but, but that's what's great right is like in this era where you have your van dams and stallones and schwarzeneggers these guys that are just these hulks right and it's like yeah that guy probably could fist fight a giant alien barbarian right yeah. that makes sense kurt russell's not that and he walks this perfect line but what he has that these other guys don't is just this insane amount of charisma. Yeah. He just, I mean, he oozes off the screen. And Jack Burton becomes this great catch-all for all of Kurt Russell's attributes because Jack Russell, or Jack Russell, Jack Burton, <laughs> right? He's yeah. not a dog. Jack Burton uh, would probably be that fucking guy that whenever he showed up, you'd go, oh, fuck this guy, <laughs> right? Totally. Like, that's who Absolutely. Jack Burton is. And it struck me this time watching how funny it is uh, his little monologues when he's pork chop expressing. I was like, so on an open channel where truck drivers share information, he's just fucking podcasting. Yeah. Jack Burton is literally just Jack Burton's the first podcaster. Yeah. Well, I was, if, if Jack Burton were alive today, he'd have YouTube channels. He'd be an influencer on Instagram, right? Like he would just be out oh, yeah, there totally. slinging it. Right. So I was oh, like, yeah. this movie becomes this great journey. Uh, and it, it's also this other the the playground of this movie is something that always re-stuns me, right? The mm -hmm. the sets and the worlds are so fucking fun. And a lot of them look wrong, right? Like the, the giant skull room with the neon lights there. You're like, what is happening? Yeah. But it's kind of this perfect meld of 80s American action movie with kind of this Far East mysticism. And it, it feels like genres I love mashed together in ways that yeah. you're like, how is this working on me? But it absolutely does. But to the Jack Burton point, the, the journey this time of watching Jack Burton uh, go from, you know, podcaster, influencer, you know, that kind of a guy. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, like, he's finally living it, right? You watch him. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene when they come back up and they're getting ready to go back down. And he's <laughs> over there sharpening his boot knife. And that the writer's like, Jack, you're not a one-man army. He's like, call the cops. Like, who are you fucking kidding? You're Jack Burton. And he goes cap's got better things to do than die and it's the exact line that uh wang gave him earlier in the flick yeah. and i was like oh my god he's totally fucking buying into this yeah. <laughs> after we just watched him escape through this fucking series of follies yeah he now is like oh, i am the american machismo that i thought I well, and i think the thing that i've that i noticed this watching is just yeah the insane fallibility of jack burton is the thing i love the most is he's probably the least skilled of anyone in like when you get to that big final scene when like the when you get to the big bosses he's the least skilled of anyone really like the first time they get into a big fight he gets knocked out for the entire fight like he's just yeah. like like that to me is john carpenter doing such a good job of completely inverting like the indiana jones of it all and not giving into this like not giving into the a i mean from like a sociological aspect, not giving into this weird white savior thing, but also just completely inverting yes. the completely inverting the action here <laughs> to being like, listen, this guy's a huge fucking blowhard. You just heard him podcast Jack underscore Russell nineteen eighty six, like or, uh, Jack Jack underscore Burton nineteen eighty six uh, influencer. He's just podcasting in the beginning, talking about how tough he is and like how he sees the world. And the best I, again, I, I love that opening scene so much because. He's literally talking about how tough he is the whole time. 
and he's like constantly losing at a like I don't even know what kind of I don't know what game that is that they're playing in the very beginning. The dominoes, they're guessing odds and evens. Like they're just guessing odds and evens, and he like spends the entire night almost like losing his shirt the entire night. Then finally but he wins, but he ends up winning. What I love about that scene too, though, is the thing that I always forget is how Jack Burton gets brought into this game because he is not willing to let his friend slide on a thousand dollar bet. Yeah. That he has this guy who he calls his friend, but is like, I absolutely am going to take your thousand dollars. If you can't chop a bottle in half, which clearly he won't. And yeah. that, that scene is really cool too. Cause that's when we see the reflexes. We're doing the mind and spirit. It's all that the scene, reflexes. It's doing so much extra work though. And I think that's the fun thing is, we're watching Jack start to take these steps into just kind of lunacy, right? You're like, what? And then you get to the airport, and when you see the, what is it, the demons of the street, the the gang, right? The yeah. lords of death, that's what they are. With their kind of like Kanye shades on and shit. You're like, what is <laughs> Oh, yeah, happening? the lords of death. You're like, the lords of death just- in the airport. Like, the airport setup is so great. <laughs> but they're just, they're just human trafficking in public. Yeah. Like, human traffickers normally... No. Like this is later in the film we find out that if Lopan commits his deeds, right, and he becomes flesh again, his big plan is he's going to import lots of strange and exotic things from uh China. So Lopan cannot <laughs> beat the Coast Guard or whatnot, but yet is willing to just say, Hey guys, go human traffic right at the fucking terminal. Respect. Smack around some whites and uh, you know, get back here. It's just like it, it, it is cause Later, the writer describes this movie as um, when they go underneath and they come back when she's telling Jack Burton to call the cops. She's like, this is kind of a more radical Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And the movie really does kind of have the most fun with that version. The, the thing I thought about this time that made me laugh about Jack Burton, too, and kind of his constant follies, uh, is the scene when they're, they pull the pork chop express into the alley, right? And as the gangs are about to start fighting, right? We see all this gunfire. There's machine guns everywhere. Jack Burton's just sitting in his car with this knife. He's just holding it in front of him. <laughs> like that knife is going to save him from bullets flying through his windshield. Some oh, guy yeah. opening his door and machine gunning him. He's just sitting there with a knife. And a little knife. I was like, but that is classically Jack Burton. Yes. It's like, perhaps I'll have to beat both of these gangs with my boot knife. <laughs> Like that's, I mean, and again, it, it's just the positioning too. It's just like, like I'm ready. This is how I prepare myself. I'm just like, it's like cocked back. <laughs> like, like, come on. There's literally like dozens of people coming down with all different kinds of weapons, all different kinds of gangs. And he's just, I'm ready. And that's the Jack Burton-ness of the but, whole yeah, movie right these there. These two gangs, by the way, are the third gang he's encountered within like yeah. 30 minutes. He's just like, that, this fucking gang's everywhere. <laughs> and that's like, that's the Jack Burton right there, though. It's just like, I have one knife. And I'm going to, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of this somehow. Like, yeah. the, the thing I love the most about the Jack Burton character is that he functions solely on luck. It's, it's really entertaining. And yes, there are reflexes and all this other stuff, but it's very entertaining to watch Kurt Russell play kind of the buffoon through this whole movie. Like, this is a guy who, like, this last week we watched him handle L.A. and New York very savvily. And it's no. really entertaining to watch him do this movie. And this was also 1986, so this was after uh, his first round of Snake Plissken. Mm-hmm. Him to be sort of the bumbling detective type is really entertaining to watch. And again, this movie does such a good job of blending action and comedy and all this other stuff that normally I I do think takes, doesn't necessarily take a great filmmaker to uh, blend those two things, but it takes someone with a lot of savvy of understanding their actors. And I think that's the thing that's great about that was why Kurt Russell needed to be in this movie specifically, because he's the only one who really has that, like you said, charisma to do this part. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because the movie plays a lot on this kind of joke, right? This white savior thing that we see in a lot of movies. Yeah. And this feels like John Carpenter wanted to make kind of a kung fu film. Mm Mm-hmm. And he knew he wanted all these actors, but he's like, I can't sell that. I need a Kurt Russell. 
And so he kind of backdoor makes the movie he wants while taking the piss out of the concept of you need that Kurt Russell on the poster that here is Jack Burton, the blustering American telling the, you know, ancient civilization that their ways are all bullshit while he's constantly confronted with magic. And he's like, give me a break, (laughs) like spouting his one liners that, you know, he's developed in his 40 years of life as if he knows everything. Uh, it's, so it's, all, it's, it's all he's doing it on the road, man. <laughs> but that's what of, I mean. It's, it's watching him take this. Yeah, he's just he's doing this routine, right? That he is a man. But that's what I mean. He's a guy who's willing to, like, drive his friend to the airport because he wants that thousand dollar. Like, this is a classic guy who thinks the absolute highest of himself. Yeah. While the actual facts of his reality don't match that. Right. And so he becomes this perfectly placed character. And again, the Snake Plissken comparison is really fun because I think Snake works for that world. Right. Mm -hmm. This really brutal, gritty New York and then L.A. But I feel like anyone could have been Snake Plissken. Like you could have had Stallone or Arnold be Snake Plissken. And the movie doesn't lose an enormous amount to me. None of them could have been Jack Burton. And Jack Burton being fallible is what makes him more iconic to me, right? It's it's very much like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. The fact that John McClane is a guy who is normal and gets hurt, that makes it more interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's why why people gravitate towards – people unconsciously do this. Like, a lot of times people don't remember that they've seen this movie, and then when you bring it up, they're like, oh, yeah – I really like Kurt Russell. And you're like, yeah, you know why? Because you can see yourself in you. It's part of like, it's part of this sort of, it's, it's, it's part of why we watch movies. Like we try to find the character that we're going to graft onto and immediately in big trouble in little China for some of us. It's, I mean, you know, if you're awesome, I guess you, you know, graft to Wang because he's the best character in the movie. But like, if you're like the rest of us who are just nobody schlubs, Jack Burton's your guy, you know? <laughs> well, no, he's Sorry. actually the American dream. He yeah. is this blustering know-it-all who doesn't want to change any of his reality to fit the facts, right? He's like, I'll adjust the facts to fit my the world inside the Pork Chop Express, right? Yeah. And when faced with it, he is still at least brave enough and has just enough honor, and if not honor, ego, right? Pride. Yeah. To fucking see it through. And he does. And again, I think the iconic Jack Burton moment, right? Because I was a little torn. I was like, the movie does such a good job of not saying, thank God the white guy was here to save us. Oh, not at all. Even though he does have the moment. But I think the way they they did it that works so well is that Jack Burton has the shot. And he yeah. fucking misses, right? Yes. Lopan throws it back. And in the reflexes, he can get him. And I was watching it today and I was like, man, was that his actual plan or is that just luck as well? Because it's a it's a perfect visual for Jack Burton, right? That he can't make things happen, right? He's not skilled enough or good enough to just go in and get the job done. But what Jack Burton is, is clever and quick on his feet with the reflexes. He's a guy who has survived and made it in situations much beyond his capabilities, right? And so it's a perfect ending. The question, I was like, did he fucking plan that, right? There was almost a thing of low pan. He picks up the knife and he's like, ugh, peasant weapon, right? As he said, peasant magic to egg. And it's the thought that this guy, this fucking 12-foot-tall wizard, would try to throw the knife back is so fucking weird. I got to tell you, I always assume and this is the part that i love this is why jack burton is such a great character i always assume it's just he got a second chance it's not even love i think that too it's 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 the best way because to me that's the best interpretation of that moment in general well i love that face he throws it just goes uh, like he fucking knows he's like again again he's it's he's all he's the second chance character you always get another chance like he's he, he has to learn, you know? That's, like, yeah. the bigger thing. And I think that's, again, the fallibility of Jack Burton as a character is what makes him so entertaining. It's not even, like, the thing that makes him the most engrossing. It's the thing that makes him... It's the thing that makes him the most entertaining overall. 
well, is because right. he's going to make a mistake. You know what's yeah. going to happen because it happens so early on in the movie. You know what's going to happen again. It's going to keep happening because he's not a perfect. He's not a perfect fighter. He's not a Stallone. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, if he had learned to be a perfect fighter after the, the potion, like Wang all of a sudden becomes this, you know, crouching tiger hidden dragon level like aerial sword fighter and you're like mm, all right but we had already seen that he's a very we skilled already knew he was beforehand. gonna do that okay i'll buy that i'll buy that if jack burton is doing that in a sword fight that doesn't work and also no. he doesn't buy into the mysticism and the culture all the way even at the end right which is fun what i love is the way they wrap burton up right is uh <laughs> the him uh you know gracie law saying like i'd like a little a little truck with a cabin in the bag. He's like, yeah, think about it. And he has that moment. It's like, are you going to kiss her? And all he's done this whole movie is try to kiss her. Clearly wanted to seduce her the whole time. But now, in a way, he is still high on his own supply. <laughs> and he's like, what would the guy that I always wished I was do? Fucking walk away. Yeah. And when he says, nope, you're like, oh, my God. Jack Burton is going to go off into this world. And then, of course, he hits straight into the podcast again. You know, like when the storms are calling and the poison arrows are falling. And he even asked Wang. It's actually kind of this touching moment, right? This classic American Clint Eastwood lone gunman guy, except he's the fallible one. He's like the absolute what if one of us got in, could do just enough and then got out because everyone around us was amazing and saved us. And we did like one good thing, one really good thing. Right. And he, when he asked Wang, he's like, we really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we? I was like, that is the whole movie to me, right? Jack Burton knows that he finally, for one moment, was Jack Burton, yeah. right? The character he had made it. Even if right? it was Instead for like of checks in the mail, time. he's like, I'm fucking paying in cash. And that was so fucking fulfilling. Yeah. I mean, you know what it is? It's it's the entire movie he spends it's this look on his face that that look sells the entire movie for me because he that is just like the best part of jack that is the jack burton i love like like that whole scene where he the first time they meet lopan where they're like yeah. where he like comes out and they're sitting in the wheelchairs he literally just talks shit the entire yeah, i don't know dave just keeps calling him dave just, he might as well have been called hey pal yeah. <laughs> just talking mad shit to just Lopin. continually calling Lopin Dave. Like, I don't know, Dave, you seriously messed up if that's how you're doing business. Like, just giving him mad shit. And you're like, this is the character that I'm on this ride with, man. Why the yeah. hell not? But that's what I, it is. The perfect blend of we are trained with our eyes to believe that the guy who is playing the role of Jack Burton, right? In this case, Kurt Russell, the guy on the poster with the gun and the muscles out. That's the guy who's going to go in and whip everyone's ass because that is the American man as we know him, right? And this movie does the best version of that, which is, yes, he is capable and, you know, he's brave and can hang in, whatever. But he is not this just fucking savior who gets the juice and does it. And that that is why the skills of Kurt Russell as a better actor than all of those other, you know, 80s action stars that is what makes it work, and that is why Jack Burton is iconic. I would argue this movie, to the average kind of 80s action fan guy, is probably less palatable than almost any of its contemporaries in that era because it has all this extra stuff you have to deal with. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, there's but no Kurt Russell straight... is such a perfect conduit that yeah. it, it, it works for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why it has universal appeal. Like, this movie doesn't have a straight through line, like I would say. Like, you know, not like a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger movie. There are no, like, clear cut. Like, I think about, let's see, this came out in 86. So I think about a movie like The Terminator is a great example. Mm -hmm. Like, The Terminator is a pretty clear cut story. Like, there's not a lot of nuance to it other than there's, like, the time travel el time travel element. This has a little bit more nuance. There's a little more of the unknown like there's a lot of stepping into the unknown in this movie and i think that's the thing that makes it so elegant in its design is that i have such a good time just locking in with the story i'm not trying to figure out what how the movie's gonna go because i mean like 15 minutes into the movie you're pretty sure how this is gonna turn out like there's nothing about this movie that feels like the stakes are high but they're not high in the sense that you're like 
I don't know if Jack Burton and Wang are going to survive this. Of course they're going to survive it. Like, this is a fucking, like, this is like a nice, this is a fun, entertaining Indiana Jones style movie. It has the same stakes as Indiana Jones for me, though, where I know Indiana Jones is going to say, is just going to figure it out. And I know Jack Burton and Wang are going to figure this out, too. Probably Wang before Jack Burton, and he'll just drag Jack along. <laughs> but, like, that Wang is, is the definitely fun- the Sam to Jack Burton's Frodo. Oh, yeah, hardcore. But, like, that's the value of this movie in general is that I don't – the legwork I'm doing is the work of, like, just enjoying the movie and being along for the ride, which I think is noticeably invaluable. Yeah, it's so easy because the movie starts with this fun opening scene where it's just Egg and this lawyer. And he's like, you expect me to believe – this man, and he's like, oh, yes, you know, because it's true. And the lawyer's like, yeah, right. Like, again, another kind of in this Jack Burton, like, that's not the world we're from. And Wang just, and it's like, so right off the bat, the movie's already like, Egg is doing lightning magic in front of a lawyer. Right. And it's like, be prepared. And the yeah. scene to me was, there's this cool moment in the parking garage where we cut in, and the the way the three Lords of Death are sitting in the car it's a super awesome shot of them just gunning it through the parking lot. Uh, my Ling or Mei Ling is in the back, right? Mm-hmm. And she kind of looks a little contorted from the moment we start chasing them. Right. And then we get into that alley and the fog pours out. There's it's just, you know, that you are transported now. Right. Yeah. And there is another funny thing that I, one time we were, I was watching this with my brother and my brother's like only eighties action movie guy, like action movies, only like guys who can do push-ups and whip ass that's all he wants to watch and my brother actually gave me a kind of funny insight into this movie which is as he's watching right so the two uh street gangs right the yellow and red gang start machine gunning and he's kind of like all right all right yeah badass guns all right cool and then they pull out and as they're about to do the martial arts fighting my brother starts doing the and I was like, what's what's that? You what's going on? And he's just like, watch this. And he does. There is this thing that happens in action movies that <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. If it's because we used to, you know, fight each other all the time or whatever. If you have some experience in fighting, right? There's a scene when the guy picks this dude up and drops him through an already mostly broken window. And the guy who like lands goes, oh, and he's like knocked out. My brother's like Psh, fucking wusses karate moves don't work on real men and i'm like oh my god i was like this is what carpenter's doing is he's making the 80s macho guy be like yeah right because <laughs> right? it's a lot of hey 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 you know like when these guys are doing these like akatas right and blocking and doing these little punches my brother reacted to seeing that in this movie the way i do watching steven seagal sweat and pretend to throw students around <laughs> Right. Where you're just like, that's not a thing that could happen. And it was really a kind of funny insight to me. Because by the end of the movie, that's completely gone from him. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining your brother doing this because I can hear him in my head. Just, yeah. But yeah, like. Yeah. That's well, the- like my brother has openly told me he could beat up UFC champions. Just because they weigh much less than him. And I was like, all right, that's the world you live in. But again, like what happens at the end of the movie, that's that's what this movie does, man. That's the beauty of Big Trouble in Little China is that, again, you're just, you're taking that, it's taken off the table almost immediately. Like you just, it, that level of like, whatever you want to call it, ego, anything, that piece of like your brain that can't shut off to like suspend, suspend disbelief just goes away in this movie and that i think is what carpenter does so well by disarming us with the like notion of like hey the guy we hired to be the 80s action star kind of sucks at being an action star so i think we're gonna have to just rely on everyone else yeah like well then all of a sudden right the three storms are coming down so now it's like magic that's beating people we're we're disarming a lot of this and what i really like too is by the time we get to the end of the movie right i think as we see uh, Egg and them get involved, and Jack still isn't buying it, and they slide down the pole into the bog of dead trees, I think is what he calls it, right? This underground. Yeah. And they're looking at it, and Egg is sitting there, and, you know, what is that? It's the black blood of the earth. 
And he's like, right. what is it really? He's like, it's the fucking black blood of the earth, you stupid motherfucker. Why don't you understand any of this? We're sitting there. We see this awesome kind of – and the, the, the sets in this movie really sell me, right? But that is the first one that is essentially 1,000% mystical to me, right, is that moment. Because we a lot of the others, right, we see them fighting and there's, you know, the the room where the light's on the floor – that fills up with water and, you know, all these other rooms that still seem like they could be Bond villain rooms, right? This was the bog of the dead tree mixed with the ritual of the burning blade. Now we're going full, like our connection from San Francisco seems completely severed, right? Like now we're all the way literally down the rabbit hole. Right. And when that fucking monster comes out and bites the dude, Jack Burton's still like, what's that? What's that? What's not coming? And he's still not fucking accepting what is happening yeah i mean but that that's the part of the movie where my brain starts melting so i was like this is so fucking fun and then the movie also adds in just some awesome creature work there, mm-hmm. there's just so much fun shit happening at every turn it's john carpenter using all the pieces in his arsenal like that's the best part and like i think the thing i like the most about this movie being made is again like that kind of stuff everything where you, i love that yeah when you're down and like yeah when you're down in the dungeons with yeah like the black blood and that kind of stuff you still know this is under you still think to your i still thought to myself like this is all under san francisco like see i yes, felt like are, it wasn't <laughs> well like we might be like transported but see that was the fun as i was thinking yeah. like oh this could all be under san francisco though how fucking cool is that like you're that's like, i'm gonna really... find that fucking pole and go on an adventure i mean when you're a kid like Hell i remember yeah. i remember distinctly the first time i saw this movie i remember the exact i remember it was the sleepover it was another kid's like favorite movie and i was like i don't think that i'm like big trouble in little china sounds weird i don't know if i'm into that <laughs> and it was mind blowing. And I was like, yeah. I was 11 years old. I was blown away. I was like, best movie I've ever seen. That's the kind of shit that you're like, this is great. But because it transports you to another place. But at the same time, I'm still tethered to the thought that, wow, is all that shit just living underneath San Francisco? It's something that I could get to because I want to be Jack Burton. I want to be Wang. I want to be any of these guys. I want right. to be sitting in a wheelchair given just jawing off to some ancient deity be like listen dave i don't know how great your business acumen is but i mean and again like that's the thing that i always come back to and the thing it's it's interesting because i remember seeing this movie out of context completely when i was much younger like before i saw it at a sleepover but the part that i saw was like pretty much from the black blood on and the thing that I remember the most is one of the th- the three st- the third the one storm guy who explodes like that was the <laughs> that was the the image, garbage pail kids looking death yes yeah that was the image burned in my brain because and then I saw it earlier because again one of my favorite scenes in this movie is the first time like Jack stabs him and he just goes <sighs> and pushes yeah. the knife out and Jack and again this is a great example of Jack being terrible is. He gets thrown into a wheelchair and just like flies down the uh, flies Takes down out the two guards way. though <laughs> by accident. <laughs> but but he, in his mind, he's like nailed it, nailed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but right, but no, that, that's 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 the image. So that, well see, is, that's the imagery I remember the most is the guy exploding. Yes. Well, the guy exploding is what my brain looked like the first time I watched this. Just that's you know, like that is where my head space was. Right. And then you have the lightning rider. I think he was called Thunder, the guy that explodes. Yeah. And so it was just, but that's what I mean, right? Like one of the scenes that was really extra funny to me today was uh, when Jack Burton tries to go buy Mei Ling back. <laughs> and it's like, Jack Burton, yes. try to pretend, uh, yes. what do you think a, an average guy looks like? <laughs> so you have Jack Burton pretending to be an 80s action star. Well, he's just doing a Clark, a Clark Kent. Yeah, then pretending to be this, like, rug salesman or whatever. He knows his job is. He's just it, – but it's so funny. When I was watching it today, I was like, it looks and sounds a lot like Chris Farley doing Matt Foley. Oh, wow. I like a way that. amped down version. Like, if Matt yeah. Foley were played as an actual human being. Right, yeah. Okay. Right? 
it looks and feels a lot like that to me. Yeah. And it was okay. just so fucking funny because then it's funny you said Clark Kent because you get that Superman moment is they're ripping the doors off the whorehouse. Because one of the things that I always forget about this movie is that the events of this movie are completely happenstance. The Lords of Death are there to just steal any girl, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, well, it's got, they, got, they have the eyes. No, no, no. They're going to steal literally any girl. Oh, you're talking about Because okay, Jack Burton interferes and Gracie Law interferes, they get Mei Ling, sell her to a whorehouse, come to find out, Lopan hears about it through the grapevine. He's like, you motherfucks. And he has to send the storms to go get her back. Right? He doesn't even like, hey, can you go pay? I'm like a billionaire. Yeah. He's like, no, fuck paying. I'm going to go steal that shit back. And this is a great moment, though, because as the roof's coming off, there's a ball of green magic. Jack just goes, and he undoes his tie a little bit. And he lifts the giant hat to try to punch these guys. And it just gets his ass kicked across her. I was like, that is classic Jack Burney's like, Oh, thank God I'm here, right? Like, let's yeah. get out of this pleb closed. I'm going to go throw <laughs> some nuts. And it was such a funnier scene than I ever remember. <laughs> you know, and that's, again, I, I love that. It's interesting. So you, you, you put it as happenstance, but I do love that there are so many it's mistakes absolutely made. nothing we see at the start of the film. You could start the film right there, and nothing that happened before that in the plot matters one second at all. I love that so many mistakes are made in this movie by different characters. Like, people are constantly <laughs> fucking up in this movie. Like, considerably. Like, yeah. Well, it feels like the Lords of I Death. I totally are forgot about not... the whorehouse thing, by the way. Well, no, yes. think about when later when they're running through the labyrinth trying to get out, it's the red team that is now guarding the building. I have a feeling the Lords of Death are those fucking skinned bodies in the room where Jack and Wang are taken, right? right. It's like, you sold the green-eyed girl. I've got one rule. One fucking rule. Green-eyed girls go to me. And he just fucking has them played. <laughs> you know, his head turns on like my kid's polar bear nightlight. <laughs> and the uh, lords of death are no more. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. But wow, that's what I, I mean. It, yeah. The whole start of that movie. Throw it out. Fucking throw it out. It could It could just. I get, it's the best. Again. It's the best part about the movie. It all feels like it's just coming together as we're watching it. Not the craft of the movie itself, but the story is yeah. like, like you were saying, it's all so incidental. Like it's just happening. <laughs> Nothing feels methodically plotted out. Everybody just knows like, well, we got two green eyed chicks, so let's just get this thing going. You know, we got to. Yeah, they, we gotta they just <laughs> like halfway through the movie. They're like, why is Gracie Law in this film? Mm contact department <laughs> wait like they almost had to like draw him in after because it's that is one of the big <laughs> are you talking about gracie law or kim cattrall both oh okay <laughs> like why why does that character this is one of those things in a movie where you're like that's a bit of a head scratcher one why does gracie law exist in this movie at all right yeah because she i mean i guess you could say to be the like foil to jack burton's false machismo but then at the end she's fucking literally swooning the end is almost like they never i have a theory on that we'll get to that <laughs> so you have kim cattrall is like she they say she's a lawyer doesn't seem like it the fact that there's a lawyer named gracie law who does the things kim cattrall does in this movie just totally rings a performer name and then she just has the friend who's the writer who does not seem like a writer. It's like, why why have both of those characters? Why not just let the, the other lady be the main foil, right? The actual lady with brains who's helping bust this case open. Right. It just it, – but it's one of those, like, why is she here? And then someone halfway through had that same epiphany and said, Green Eye Minaj, let's go. Because <laughs> if Kim I Control's not in the movie – Again, this is one of those weird movies that I love. And on Letterboxd, it's one of the movies I give a five star. Every time I watch it, it's a perfect experience based on my rating system. That's a five star movie, right? Uh, but it is impossible to say that there's not five or six things that could disappear from the film. And the movie wouldn't just keep chugging along exactly yeah. the same and as perfectly. It's, and that is look, weird for a movie of this caliber. 
It is. And I think that's because... Fuck, dude, a ghost just turned on my Xbox. Sorry if you hear me get murdered in the middle of this. Lopan has come for me. (laughs) But that's like the thing I enjoy the most about the movie is that in general, I... (laughs) Yes, there's like four or five things that I would say, well, that doesn't need to be anywhere near this movie. Like, at all. (laughs) And it's only there for my amusement. And I think that's the thing my, John Carpenter knew when he made the movie is like these five or six things that I'm going to put in this movie are strictly there to amuse people. Like <laughs> it has no bearing on the plot, but God bless it. This is very entertaining. Yeah. Like who wouldn't enjoy like who the would demon enjoy gorilla? This? Yeah. Why is demon the demon gorilla, gorilla there when you've got thunder? Who can just Hulk out and take everyone? Because yeah. he looks because cool it, and becomes like because he looks cool. I mean, you know, the eyeball monster, very entertaining. Like, that was fucking cool though like that's one of those images that actually like scared me when i was young like i was actually afraid then you start playing D &D, you're like oh it's a fucking beholder obviously you're like right so i was already pre-trained for that but i love the i think this is one of those movies where the creature work kind of gets lost the costuming and the makeup and all of this stuff is so good like imagine the first time lopan uh goes all jack-o-lantern but anywho, he you know, he's all royalty now. He looks regal, even though we know he's this fucking diabolical scumbag and he floats through the fucking walls. Right. It's just really cool, right? When the, the girl's eyes go white, it's fucking cool. And that's that to me is what this movie constantly is. Like you see, again, the beholder is just an easy example of that. Uh, right. Thunder exploding. There's so much awesome creature work. You know, because obviously Carpenter creature work is like the thing is. Yeah. Like the pinnacle of that, but this has a lot more than I think people remember. I the thing there's a scene I forgot about that I actually really, but I really like. It's after they drink the potion and they get in the elevator. And oh, they all just, yeah. dude, that's <laughs> I wrote that down today. I was like, what an amazing scene! Like this scene is. I I watched it. I I, I watched it today. I'm like, oh my god, this is one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Of just like a bunch of guys like. Huh. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, you know? Yeah, I think this will all work out. Yeah, I got a positive attitude yeah, towards flying this. Flying down to fight a 12-foot-tall demon and the three storms at a wedding that will make him an unstoppable ruler of evil. There's a, well, all right, all right, we just had a beer. We talked that about was, the feathers of liberty. Because <laughs> that's how that Jack's a, like, I'm not going to drink it. And they goad him out by being like, it's not real American, you wuss. You know, because they, they like, yeah. cheers America. In their uh, drinking Chinese magic potion going down into the, the black blood of the earth. And they cheers America. And Jack Burton's just like, well, you started talking about Liberty's feathers. I'm fucking in. <laughs> right? Like, I'm in. Now. But then they're all the in. The question in the movie, this is, let's talk about the potion real quick. Okay. Because the elevator scene is just a master class in why stop the momentum of the movie right there at that moment? And it's because that is what this movie is is you always take a second to look at the absurd and have a laugh before right. you get to the thing yeah i wonder a lot about the potion this time right because one i wondered i was like did it really work at all like did anything actually happen to them or is this some placebo effect right oh no it worked for sure how how can you say i mean wang is jumping around I'll all you, over i'll tell you why what not just wang jack getting knocked out at the very beginning for firing a gun in the air. It's the best luck he could have had because he definitely would not have survived that entire battle at all. I think my other theory is that it just didn't work on Jack because he's a white person. Oh, that could right? be it too. <laughs> that, yeah. That Wang got all of the powers and, uh, you know, egg had increased, you know, superior magic abilities. We see that the guys in yellow seem like they're finally winning their fights. Right, Although right. it could be argued they were winning in the alley. And Jack's just still kind of Jack, right? He doesn't do anything that you think seems extraordinary at this point. Right. right? And it reminds me very much of like when they're in egg shop and he's like, you know, ah, what is this bullshit in the jars? He's like, oh, to the Chinese, this is priceless. This sounds like why we're losing species, right? So we can make tusk boner pills and stuff because, you know, white people are just like, that sounds fucking magical as hell. I'm in. I'm fucking in. Right. And I think, I think that might be what happened. But Jack that's Burton like gets stuck. But that's the Jack with the Burton, guy on him. And he just it's it's a leg press away and he gets stuck. He doesn't have that fucking magic potion. 
Right. But that's what's meant to give. But see, there's, it, it hits everyone differently. Like Wang becomes a superhero. Jack, everyone knows like it's good luck. It's meant to bring you luck. It's meant to bring you like he it's meant to has the most luck. Jack Burton had the most luck. He definitely would have died. If it worked, would he not have hit that knife throw at this? I think Jack, I think he got fucking rhino boner pilled. I think he got rhino boner pilled. I think this is well, the shark fin soup in that that thing and it's just like you want to be more virile, drink this fucking smoking cup. I think Jack I just totally bought in. Because here's another thing I forgot. Egg says when you take it, he says, only a dream can kill a dream. Right? Right. So it's hinting at the fact that by drinking this forbidden sacred gourd of whatever, right? Smoke juice. They're just vaping in the superpowers. There is a chance that they will be afflicted similarly to Lopan and become dreams themselves. Which immediately we see they wait for Lopan to finish his marriage so he can just become a dude and get knifed in the face. So right. I was like, nothing about this juice is adding up to me. I think this is boner pill juice. I mean, it's I think it's a ruse. Bad. It's probably, I mean, it's definitely boner pill juice. For Clearly everyone. it works on Wang. So I it, guess that it, it's it, not all the way. I, a I mean, fraud. it conceivably works on everybody. Like everyone has their moment. I you know the thing I thought about, uh, during the fight too there's so much like great especially um when wang is uh fighting is that the lightning no it's not the lightning guy through no, the, the master of swords yeah yeah the master of swords through the air that the is guy like with the hashtag of, goals ponytail straight out of anime i love that anime look oh, and so that's cool. just like it's so much fun man no that that fight was just fucking amazing well that's the that's cool a, part where it's the first time where we see wang we've seen him kick ass right but he always still feels a little it had that kind of, I was just watching that Bruce Lee documentary. It felt like how he was this Kato. Right. And he's like, I kick more ass than you. I'm better than you. Why am I the fucking chauffeur? Why right. do I have to wear the fucking bellhop hat? And that's how <laughs> Wang felt in this movie. And that was the one where he's fighting the master of blades, right? Seemingly the kind of second in command of the the storms. And he gives him the eyebrows like, what's up, bitch? You know, you're about to lose that yeah. moment slapped for me today i was all the way in on that moment totally. but yeah i don't know because this this is my theory is that either it didn't work on jack because he is a, a douche white guy who doesn't believe or it did work and maybe that end is just pure fantasy right maybe now they are also like lopan kind of this this kind of in between right what's lopan say like i i live in the the nothingness the in-between worlds maybe yeah. that is what happened because at the end jack has the demon on his truck maybe this is letting us know that now jack is entwined in the spiritual world this well, i think will be a thing he has i, well, I think do. jack's entwined in the spiritual world no matter what yeah i'm not sure it necessarily means that he's of the spiritual world i mean he's a skeptic that's the whole point he's a white man he can't i mean maybe but that's what they say about the ghost, right? Like, you don't have to believe in them. They believe in you. Jackson. He had a whole cup of horny goat weed from the local gas station. And now that gorilla demon's riding on the Pork Chop Express. And he didn't hook up with Gracie Law. Mm, All right. I don't know. It's like a reverse I, fantasy. Because it feels like you would want those two things. <laughs> I, uh, I've been, I was saving this for the end of the show. I, I wanted to know there's a big piece of trivia that I'm not sure you know about. Because I feel like it would have come up immediately. There's a big oh, piece okay. of trivia though, about excited. this movie. I love that trivia I'm, that I don't know. Let's go. That I'm curious if you knew or not. Do you know the role that Kurt Russell was up for when he decided to take this instead? So this would have been the movie in 1985 they started filming that he did not take instead. He, he was he turned the role down to make this movie. He turned the role down to make this movie. And honestly, had he, I, I gotta be honest. It's, it's amazing that this is like, it's amazing how much you relate to Jack Burton, how much you love Jack Burton and how much you love Kurt Russell, given this movie uh, that he had to turn down. Oh man. Now, now you're, now you're peaking my interest. So now you're saying there's a personal connection seemingly something that would make me this angry. big trouble in little china is intrinsically linked to you but had this occurred kurt russell might have been the only actor you ever watched movies from 
Oh my god. Can I tell you? Yeah, tell him. Is it is it Hellraiser? <laughs> Was he gonna be no. in it? <laughs> no. Kurt Russell be a turned down, Uncle Frank, Kurt Russell turned down the role of Connor McCloud to be in Big Trouble in Little China. What the fuck? Are you <laughs> I'm not, absolutely kidding me? I'm not kidding you at all. I'm hundred percent certain. Wait, 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 hold up. Let me <laughs> wait. Not not uh Connery's character. He was going to be Connor no, McLeod. He was going to be Connor McLeod. He turned it down to be in Big Trouble in Little China. This might be the only time I say he fucked up. <laughs> he done fucked up. Highlander is my favorite movie of all time. I know. And I read I'll that and I'm like, though, I gotta hold on to this. It hurts me because there's a theme I pitched you on this show multiple times, which is uh should have been Lambert, right? Movies right. where it's like that is a when I watch Brotherhood of the Wolf, I'm like, who is this Christopher Lambert with better hair and bigger boobs that Truth. is just playing Christopher Lambert? Like, why is that not him in Brotherhood of the Wolf, right? I'm trying to work on the other movies in said category. I've got, like, two. I need four. This but might be one of them. There is... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Could you... Um, if Connor McCloud is actually <laughs> as cool as Kurt Russell... I don't know if that works. I feel like Highlander becomes a footnote if Kurt Russell is Connor McCloud. No, Highlander is pure fucking uh, quickening, dude. It but, would, Highlander would have worked if you had put Dom DeLuise as Connor McCloud. Like, that shit would have been iconic. Uh, we would have gotten the TV show. <laughs> no, it's not. There can be only one greatest movie of all time, and it is I fucking firm, Highlander. But I firmly believe that. But Christopher Lambert's performance is an is an important aspect of Highlander. I think that if you have the Kurt Russell charisma, yeah, I'm not sure Highlander is as impactful as. And also, could, he's he's very American. He's very American. He's very you kind American. of need that European swag. But yes, yeah, because. Kurt- Lambert yeah. feels like the guy in Highlander. It's like my wife would probably cheat with him. And I'd be like, why? Just because of the accent. Like, that's it. You're like, he's wearing Reeboks and mom jeans. And anyways, we don't need to do someday. We're going to do all of the Highlander. We're going to do someday. all of them. Oh, my God, dude. This fucking blows my mind. <laughs> Kurt Russell, probably my favorite actor. It's hard. It's like John Goodman's way up there for me. Yep. Uh, Nick Cage is right there. You know, I've got favorite actors. Kurt Russell in my favorite movie, Connor McLeod. Holy fucking shit, dude. Kurt Russell that blows my up. fucking mind. That. I, <laughs> I don't know, because then maybe Highlander would have been like the biggest movie of all time. Who knows? It might have been. It might have eclipsed his him as Snake Plissken. People get a thousand percent, dude. Connor McCloud has a lifetime of guilt and and pains and people would have literally said Snake who? Well, this is what if in the scene in Highlander where Connor McCloud's being stoned by his own people, he looks in the face of his brother and he's like, "Aren't you glad I'm alive?" And they're like, "You love the devil, McCloud. You love the devil." And they start throwing him in that fucking stupid dingus who's like, "Oh, bone me, Connor." But then when he comes back, she turns on him trying to just sling it with other McCludes. And she starts bashing him with rocks. Snake Plissken would just be like, fuck your rocks. Fuck your rocks. Call me Snake. I'm out. Like, he wouldn't feel bad at all. Snake Plissken's impossible that he would feel any remorse. And Connor McCloud is nothing but failure and remorse. But Boy. Jack Burton. Jack Burton. could have been a Connor McCloud. Could have been. Fuck, dude. That That's going to, like, wind me up for a while. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have, like, weird dream slash nightmares about this <laughs> what they should have done is at least let kurt russell come in as duncan mcleod could have but by then he was too big <laughs> no he could have done it he could do it right now today if they remake it they should get old man russell with the beard to do it oh I, i'd take that for sure they say 100%. they're gonna remake it and it's if like they you can't it, cast a big buff badass you gotta cast like a, a, a good like an everyman if they remake it, I will 100% beg them to have Kurt Russell be the Spaniard. Please. Holy shit, dude. My brain exploded. All right, Alex. Any other thoughts? What did we forget this time, man? I, I love egg. I like Today I was just like, 
when they do the the magic battle and it's just the two warriors I, the, going the, like avatars oh my god awesome come on man awesome again <sighs> there, I, there's just nothing about this movie that's not entertaining I, I i would push anyone to say this is not one of i i can't imagine anyone thinking this is not one of like the top three carpenter movies honestly I know that that's controversial. I, mean, I know we keep talking like this. Yeah, right. Honestly, man, it's so much fun. And like we were saying, like he's just a fucking maverick when it comes to his choices. So yeah, this is a perfect movie to say, well, John Carpenter does one thing. I'm like, actually, John Carpenter is like a billion things, and I'll show you five other movies right. to tell you why. I mean, this is what I'd say, right? If you're looking at him at the absolute peak of his craft, right? The thing in They Live... Halloween became a, a genre redefining movie in a way. Uh, you know, he has these escape from New York is super beloved. Um, even at things like assault on precinct. This is the funny thing is that his run in the eighties, I would stack up against almost any filmmaker ever. Cause not just that it's, he made a couple great movies. Like you could say like Kubrick in the, you know, late sixties into seventies, like that run is insane. But right. he had so fucking many movies across so many different genres that were amazing. Like, I mean, to me, it's one of the great runs in the 80s. And as we transition later in the month, we're going to get into the 90s, which I think were not as kind to Carpenter. A little like, you unkind. You can still see it flashing, but it's almost as if the studios realize how good he was. And they're like, now we're going to come in and start fucking with it. Right. Yeah. So you lose some of that soul that something like Big Trouble in Little China, had that been a 90s carpenter, I, I would hate to see how that turned out. And this, but so while I don't think it's technically one of his absolute best per se, right? Like he has so many good ones. I think this is maybe the one that shows you it's, it's something I like to think of things like this, right? Like the really great ones. You can't replace them. I don't know many other guys that could have done this movie. And done it as well as Carpenter with Kurt Russell did. I agree. Well, and to I don't me, that, that makes it higher up on the thing, and it's right. sentimental to me. Well, and again, yeah. I, I don't think that there's a lot of directors who can pivot the way Carpenter pivots. Like, yeah. let's see. Up from then, it was, I mean, it was, what, The Thing, uh, Escape from New York. Like, he was doing, like, straight they action. They Live, Assault on they Precinct live. 13. Yeah. Like, he's doing straight action, horror, Even sci-fi. Even Starman in the 80s? That's yeah, kind like, of a very different feel. Like, again, and then this movie, and again, I think it takes a really proficient director in knowing what you want. Not necessarily knowing how to make, like, an action comedy, but knowing what you want from a story and knowing what you want from a movie in general. Uh, and that's John Carpenter, man. He, I, I think that there's one thing you can tell from the movie's and from everything I've read, because, again, I like to read a lot about the production surrounding these kinds of these movies that we're watching. If there's one thing that John Carpenter is, it's decisive and he knows what he wants and he knows how. Like, that's why he does all this, all his, all the music for his movies. Like, yeah. there's nothing that I think you can point to that says John Carpenter knows exactly. Oh, by the how way, the music in this chef's kiss, the music in this movie is so fucking good in the theme yeah. song. This is a weird thing I gathered today. I've watched this movie so many fucking times, but I think I'm like almost spent, right? Like at the end, I'm just sitting there like, like rubbing my torso. Like what, a, what a jaunt, right? I'm like, I feel like I had the gaunt, the smoking horny goat weed. I'm just like, oh, that movie. Woo. And I just almost immediately turn it off when the credits hit at this point, right? Because I've seen it so many times. I... For some reason, I did not remember the absolute banger that is the title theme song, <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. It is, I mean, highway to the danger zone level. Like, what a great, just on the nose. Like, hey, we just need a song for a movie called Big Trouble. <laughs> it's so good. I will say about this, right? This is the movie. I found it young. It It is one of the very few cornerstones, which everything I love about movies is based on, uh, even like throughout my whole life. Like this, this pretty much checks almost every single box for me. Right. Yes. Um, And at the end of the movie, when egg is leaving, right. And he's like, you know, I'm done here. And he says, you know, China's in my heart. I take it with me wherever I go. That's how I feel about this movie. Um, You know, every great movie experience I have feels somewhat tied to this. Cause it was one of the like, you know, three to five movies that launched it all for me. 
Uh, and I just, again, it's it's one of those movies that it never loses anything on every watch. I've seen it so many times. Uh, and it always just delivers an amazing ride. And Jack Burton is such a fun guy to, uh, you know, buddy up with on an adventure. So that's it, guys, for Big Trouble in Little China. I hope you love this movie as much as we do. I'm sure you do. We're not we're not spilling any breaking news with that. Uh, guys, please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially Apple Podcast app. Hit us up on your socials. Give us a shout-out so we can bring more alchemists into the circle. Uh, that is always something we are trying to do. You can see our faces along with hear our voices on our YouTube channel. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. Make sure to subscribe and share that again. Uh, and uh, thank you guys for all the ratings, reviews. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with suggestions for uh, movies, themes, double features, guests, anything like that. Uh, guys, we are about to record vampires is our next john carpenter movie the what happens if an early 80s john carpenter leading man becomes a curmudgeon middle-aged 90s guy uh so we'll be doing that uh next time you hear from us for the film alchemist i'm josh Griffey. i'm alex tandino checks in the mail <laughs>